Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a very special guest. We're going to chat about all things sales and everything we do wrong and maybe some things we do right. No, I'm just kidding. We're just going to have a lot of fun. That's what we're going to do. I have the also famous Mr. Alan Langer in the house. Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. Jason, this has been, I was been excited to be on your podcast. This is like, um, you know, I've kind of made it. I'm on Jason, Jason Harris's podcast. So thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> Should we do it like I made it hashtag Jason Harris? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I'm actually excited because this is like, I think like the seventh podcast I've done in this new studio. I was uh, before we got recording today, I was messing around with this new board that the team installed in here and still quite haven't figured out everything there but they've told me not to touch it so I, I won't touch it we'll just hope it's it's set up and good to go um but hey alan for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and don't necessarily know you know uh, your origin story or how you got started in sales i thought it'd be really cool if we kind of kick off today's podcast with that origin story so so alan how did you get started in sales well uh, great question. And it's an interesting uh, story because my professional career started with uh, marketing and sales in college athletics. So I worked for Montclair State University for 15, uh, about, I think, 12 years. Yeah, 12 years there. And then I went to Columbia University in New York City. So I was starting to get to Division One big time Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. and my whole goal uh, at that point, once I got out of college, was I wanted to be a Division One athletic director. I wanted to run an athletic department. And I worked there for three years and I was the associate uh, athletic director in charge of media relations and ticket sales and fundraising and et cetera, et cetera. And I was one step below the athletic director. So I, I was ready. I was, my next place would be an AD somewhere. And then I started realizing that the athletic director currently was, uh, he's probably just about 70 and he was still working about 80 hours a week. He was at all the games. He was, it was great, great great guy, great AD, but the guy was never home. He just <laughs> was always working. And I was starting to realize like, is that what I really want to do? And then one day I woke up 15 and a half years into the profession with the only goal I ever had would to be an athletic director. And I didn't want it anymore. And it was like, Whoa, where do I go from here? So uh, having dinner with one of my best friends back in New Jersey and we're chatting and I'm telling him my dilemma, like, I don't know what I want to do. And he's chowing down on his steak and he was in sales. He sold uh, advertising for a minor league baseball team. And he looks at me, he goes, just why don't you get into sales? <laughs> and I'll never forget. I said, sales, who the hell wants to be a who salesman? Wants to do that? That's crazy. <laughs> right. I'm like, who the hell wants to be a salesman? And he's like, dude, you're in sales now. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm an associate athletic director. He goes, don't you ask alumni for money every day? Don't you try to sell season ticket packages? Don't you try to get stories in newspapers? you're selling every day. You just don't know it. And I was like, wow, he's right. So fast forward, I gave my 30 day notice literally the next morning uh, oh, without wow. a job or without anything. I just, that's how miserable I started being. And my very first job in sales was some, some, uh, small sunroom company. This guy who owned a sunroom company in New Jersey took a flyer on me cause I had zero sales experience 
And I started selling sunrooms, in-home sales, walking into houses and trying to sell people a $40,000 sunroom in two hours. Nice. Uh, one call close. And that's, uh, that's how it started. And, and that was 23 years ago. So here I am today. I, I love how you kind of just grinded your teeth through, you know, that, that, that last part. Yeah. It was, um, um, sunrooms. I sold sunrooms. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know what though? I, for the longest time I did the exact same thing when people asked me like, you know, well, what do you do? You know, I said, I'm in sales. Well, what do you do? I'm like, I, I, I sell cars. Um, yeah. yeah um, they're like, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? <laughs> I sell, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though? Um, when I got into the business, th- there was a huge stigma. And look, th- there still is. And, and rightfully so. Yeah. Like, I have to admit, rightfully so, right? Yeah. I, I've been in the business for almost 18 years now. And the first dealership I worked at, uh, there was a culture, <laughs> very well-defined one. Not a great one, <laughs> but there was a culture, <laughs> right? And that culture was around one thing and one thing only. And that was just make money and make yep. as literally as much as humanly possible. And, and that was it. I mean, I remember my, my, my sales manager would walk around on a Saturday with a roll of hundred dollar bills in his pocket. And it'd be my goal to try to get as many of those out of his pocket into my pocket on that Saturday. And uh, it was, wow. it, 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 it was a little ridiculous, but I think that's kind of as it has, has trickled throughout the years. I, I think it's getting better, but I still think there is a stigma out there. So that kind of starts me off with my first question for you mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I still feel like there's people that are in sales, but not necessarily proud to be in sales. <laughs> it's a great, great point. Yeah. How, how, how do we kind of navigate that? That confident needs to be there, but for a lot, the confidence not there. Yeah. You're right about things turning slightly. The worm is turning a little bit where sales, the sales profession is starting to realize that they need to be uh, lead with helping rather than selling, but still predominantly the training and, and the way people approach customers is we need to, I just, I'm I'm here to sell you. I'm Mm -hmm. not here to help you. I'm here to sell you a car. I'm here to sell you a a washing machine. I'm, I'm here to sell you a roof. Um, rather than finding out their problems first and then, and then going into the, see, if you lead with helping the natural conclusion of the conversation should be a sale without you actually trying to sell anything. And that's kind of the genesis of my book is the seven secrets to selling more by selling less, stop selling and start helping. But you're right about the, the stigma, the, the beginning of my book, I actually go into the history of, you know, the chapters called, how did we get here? How did we get to a society where you literally everybody hates to talk to a salesperson? The very first chapter talks about um, uh, a a survey I did. I was sitting in a coffee shop. I wrote my entire book in in the same coffee shop. But before I wrote it, I was sitting there and everyone that walked in for a two-week period or then when I was there, I asked them this one question. The question was, hey, can can I ask you a question? They were like, sure. I'm taking a survey. Do you like meeting with or talking with a salesperson? And I stopped at 267 people because all 267 people said no. Wow. There was not one person that said yes or not even a maybe or like sometimes. Every single person pretty much emphatically said, hell no, I don't want to talk to a salesperson. <laughs> and, and I was like, why is this? Why did we get here? And and when you do the research and you find out that, that you know, sales has was was from the charlatan days of, of – um, you know, 
snake oil salesman to now, mm -hmm. it's always been getting one over on the customer. It's always been trying to get as much money you can from the customer. And there's never been any trust. So what I talk about is how do you become the anti-salesperson? How do you become the salesperson that people actually want to talk to? Because it's amazing. Once you are that person, once you're not the person or the salesperson that they're expecting, it's like they want to run up and give you a hug. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. finally, I met a salesperson who's not fitting that persona, who's not fitting that stereotype. And then when you become that, you're not only going to make the sale, but they're going to, ref they're going to tell all their friends, their family. I met a, I met a, I met a car salesman who doesn't act like a car salesman. You got to go get your cars from him. You know what? That, that's, that's, that's such a good point, Alan. You know, um, look, I, um, go to dinner parties, not as many as I used to right now for obvious reasons. <laughs> right. All right. And you know, once someone finds out that you're in the car business, Ooh, here it comes. And it's, it's going to be a good one or it's going to be a bad one, but you're going to hear about it, right? And mm -hmm. the, the one thing I've always found super interesting is when people are telling me about the vehicle that they just purchased. I've yet to have someone come up to me and go, hey, yeah, I just bought that, you know, that $300 biweekly truck. I just bought that. And um, I'm like, what, what? No, one, no one says that, right? But we focus right. so much on the transaction, you know. In fact, most of the times, yeah. you know, no one actually comes out and tells me like, oh, I, I bought that. $25,000 truck. They, they don't say that either. No. What, what, what they do is they, they tell me they, they, they bought a vehicle and then they immediately go into the experience without yes. even being asked. It's like, no, I just bought a used 2017 F-150. And let me tell you, and that's usually when it comes out, <laughs> and it usually goes one way or the other or the direction, but the, the experience is what seems to connect with that customer way after the transaction. So it's it's how they per, perceive this is all the way through the experience. But we're so transaction based in our sales efforts. We're not we're not connecting. We're not creating relationships. So I guess that'd be my question. How do we get back to that? How, how do we get back to connecting and creating those relationships? Well, I mean, it you do it by, you know, by leading from helping like like the the, the very first secret is called changing your mindset. And, and you have to change, like, let's say you're, you're the typical mindset or, or the typical training is here, here walks the customer into the dealership. You immediately start thinking, okay, how do I sell this person? Mm -hmm. I want to, uh, you, you start thinking of dollar signs. You start thinking of well, what car can I get them into? That's not the right mindset. The mindset should not be about what car or what you should immediately walk up to them. And it's literally I know you say, how can I help you? But it needs to be genuine. Like you need to know what they're looking for first. You need to come across as not come across. You need to be genuine in your desire to help them solve their problem. And their problem is they want a car or they need a car. And, and once you do that, once you start, once the customer feels like you're actually in it for them, not for yourself, that, that snake, oil, that, that snake skin will start to peel away a little bit, but then you can't just stop there. You, you, you have to then start dealing with the emotion side of selling. You have to start dealing with how they're going to feel when they're behind the wheel of that car, how mm -hmm. they're going to feel when they're driving around in the neighborhood. Not, let me talk about all the features and benefits and cup holders and, and, you know, USB connections. It, it, it has to be all about feeling. And, and I know the car industry does a has done a pretty good job of this from an advertising standpoint that it's about the feel of the car. But I think some 
salespeople don't do that. They're, they're, they're focusing on the features of the car and not the feeling of owning the car or driving the car. Well, they're, they're focused on the transaction. And, but I find yeah, that yeah, also transaction, true right. in a lot of sales. You know, I, I recently just had to buy some new appliances for our kitchen, right? It's been a little mm-hmm. while. It was time to get the whole kind of new set, right? So it's stove, mm-hmm. dishwasher, um, and refrigerator. And it, it was the same thing. I, I went in there and, you know, it, it was almost the way the store, I, I kind of had, the, the store's kind of built out this way, right? Like on, you had these packages, you know, these three-piece packages. And I was like, this one was $26 a month. And this one was $56 a month. And this one was $100 a month. And it just like, just immediately when you come in, the first thing you get hit with is the transaction. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I couldn't blame the salesperson because what was the first thing that he was bringing up or, 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 or talking to us about was, well, what's your price range? Right. You know, we, we, we kind of have everything in these prices. It's like, I, dude, do you really just straight up? What, what's my price range? Like, <laughs> you know, uh, don't you have some qualifying questions to, to ask me or, I mean, at, at all, or is it just more like how much do I, but so, so we're so transaction based and I, and you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they actually kind of felt like it's, it's because the, the customer is actually, been conditioned to be more transaction based than to be uh, relationship uh, based, and I don't necessarily think that's true. But I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it, and that's especially true in the retail industry. The retail industry is clearly transaction based. You walk in and you see prices. You want to know the prices. And and here's here's like this is this happens to everybody. You've done it yourself. Everybody does it. You walk into a store, let's say you walk into a, a you know, a, a mattress store, or even an appliance store. And immediately when the person be, be, before you even breathe, the person comes up and Hey, how can I help you today? You immediately say without even thinking about it, I'm just looking, leave me alone. I'm just looking. I don't want to talk to you mm-hmm. yet because mm-hmm. you're the sales guy and you're going to try to sell me something. And think about how silly that is because Yes, he's, he or she's going to try to sell you something because you're there to buy something, but you don't want to talk to him or her because of the fear of dealing with a salesperson and them not listening to you and making this transactional. It's the fear so of being you, sold, it, right? Like nobody likes that. I mean, who likes the feeling? No of one likes sold? to be sold. No one, people hate to be closed. You know, smart people know when you, when they're getting a sales technique thrown at them. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, you and I know when, when we're talking to a salesperson and, and they throw a technique or a strategy out like, dude, did you really just try that? You know, <laughs> really? <laughs> you're, you're trying the Ben Franklin clothes on me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, um, if you can become that non-transactional salesperson, um, you know, for example, I, I, I was uh, dealing with these, uh, these two salespeople at a mattress store. And I said, instead of walking right up to the person and saying, hey, how can I help you with your, with your silly sales jargon, stand in the back and say, when you guys are ready, look around a little bit, come over and I'll talk to you. Right away, the people are like, oh, okay. I can, I can, that, that guy seems pretty nice. He's not going to try to sell me something I don't want. And it's just, it's just a, uh, there's so many little things you can change to turn that feeling of transaction into he's actually here to, to actually help me. I'm, you know, he, he's, he's going to let me look around and see what I like. And then they'll come to you when they have the questions and then the conversation is going to start. Do you feel that, the reason that we, the customers have this kind of perception, or I think one of the biggest reasons uh, is it's a control thing. 
like, look, I, I've been in the business for eight for 18 years. I've met a lot of sales trainers um, from all different types of verticals everywhere we go. And mm -hmm. there seems to be some that take control in a professional way where the mindset is that I'm putting the customer first, hence the reason why I want to assist, but give them the information. But then there are, man, I hate to say it, but I've met a lot of sales trainers <laughs> that just like, you must take control. You are the person yeah. in control. And do you feel like that it's it's that is it kind of at the core of why just people just don't necessarily like dealing with salespeople? Yeah, because the salesperson has always had control. They've always had the information. Prior to the internet, think about this. Prior to the internet, mm -hmm. you could not, you had to go and talk to the salesperson to get your information. So they were in total control of everything. And so you felt you were vulnerable. You, you were, I gotta, I gotta believe him. I gotta believe what she's saying because I don't know anything about these washing machines. That's what she's saying. And then boom, 2006 comes around and we've got the internet and the, and the shift of power went from the salesperson to the consumer. Mm -hmm. Now the consumer has control, but think about why they need to feel like they, they, they need the control because they still don't want to be ripped off by a salesperson. So the, the car industry is a great example of what has happened to selling because people now can go online and design their car from the ground up. Sure. They, they design the car, they pick the color, the, everything, they get the price, they print it, they walk into the dealership. And I'm assuming this happens. I, I've seen it, but you, you're, you're more knowledgeable, obviously, than I am. And they say, here's my car. This is what I want. They're doing that because they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to you have you talk them out of anything. This is their choice. I have the power. I have the information. This is what I want. This is what it says it's supposed to be, and it's supposed to cost me. The Internet has turned – everyone is – building stuff online because they don't want to talk to the salesperson because mm -hmm. they're the, the inherently the perception, the stereotype is they're going to talk me into something I don't need or I don't want. There are features I don't want to pay for. There are stuff they, they have this. I just don't want to talk to them because they're, they're, they're not going to give me what I want. And, and when you become that salesperson that they start to realize that you're going to give them what they need, not what they don't want it just becomes an, an, a relationship that they're not expecting. And then when they purchase from you, see, think about purchasing from someone who you really think thought about helped you and cared about you, as opposed to making a transaction, showing up with a piece of paper saying, here's what I want. Let me buy it. I want to get out of here because I don't want to talk to you. Oh, for sure. But uh, you know, I think it's something that I've always kind of had, I don't know, a conflict with myself back and forth. Right. It's mm -hmm. like, I, I want the customer to be confident, right? And, and, yeah. and I understand that confidence comes from feeling or the perception of being in control, right? Like when, when you're in control, there's a level of confidence. I'm in control. I'm in control of this yes. transaction. I'm in control of where this is going. Then the other side of my brain goes, but yes, I, I understand that this is the sheet you brought in and this is how you built it out. But, but I know something that's actually better than that, that you didn't mm -hmm. see online. Maybe it just showed up. Um, may, maybe it was, well, yes, that's a cool model, but did you know that this trim level actually has 80% of what's in there and you're actually going to save a few bucks. So at what point do we kind of maintain 
a level of control where we're kind of directing the sale versus, you know, just the customer comes in with the order sheet and says, this is what I want. And, and this goes for all verticals. It's the same thing, right? I mean, I could have, yeah, when I was doing the, my appliances down, downstairs, I could have just come down, uh, come into the store with a sheet and said, here are the Samsung appliances I'm looking for. And they could have just said, okay, cool, taken it and did up the order. Mm-hmm. Or they could have looked at that and said, hmm, why is this? So this is where I find a lot of salespeople are conflicted when, within themselves because they don't necessarily mm-hmm. know how to balance this out. And I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on it. Well, I think, you know, immediately they're walking in with that sheet of paper because they're, they've got the, the, the fear. I, I actually name the fear in my book. I call it in tongue in cheek, but I call it rip to trust a phobia. It's, it's the fear of like meeting that. with a salesperson. You know, it's, it's, it's a joking point in my book, but everybody has this fear. You're not born with it. It's a learned, it's a learned phobia, but they have this rip to trust a phobia fear. And, and that's why they're walking in with a sheet of paper. If you can break that down and, and, and get them to start trusting you right away and, and a way to do that, I did this a lot. I, I spent a lot of my time in in-home sales with Anderson windows and, you know, people invite you to their home and they're got their guard up. Their sales guys are coming. I need windows, but the sales guy's coming over and I've got my guard up and I don't, you know, I don't want them to sell me anything, mm-hmm. but you immediately start talking about stuff that's going to save them money or that's less expensive. Like you, you mentioned it right there. Like you, this trim package is really nice, but you know what? There's one that's going to look just as nice, but it's a little less money. You want to see what that looks like on the car? That immediately turns that person into your favor because now they're like, oh, he's actually trying to help me. He's not trying to sell me something I don't want. So if you can figure out a way to start the conversation by like, wow, this is, you, you designed this really, this is really nice. Um, what are you using the car for? You know, have that conversation with, get them talking a little bit and then just say, you know, I'm looking at this. You, you really built this car well, but you know, you can save some money here and there. And then that just becomes a conversation. Now they start to trust you because you're actually saving them money. You're taking something out rather than adding something. And then later on, if you see something that would be better, you know, the, the four wheel drive versus the two wheel drive and you found, find out that they're going to go off roading a little bit, or they like to drive in the snow, whatever it is, you can start doing that. But I think if you start to lead with, here's how you can save money or here's what I think is, is, is a choice that's going to reduce your cost. You, that trust factor immediately will, will go up. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, and in the, but one of the things I always kind of run into is that, you know, as salespeople, especially young new salespeople, you know, mm-hmm. to any industry, they're, they're looking for the path of least resistance. Yeah. So a customer oh, yeah. comes in with a printed sheet. It's not within them to, to sit down and say, look, that's what the customer wanted. You know, they came in with the sheet. They already knew everything. I just typed mm-hmm. in the order and kind of sent it off, right? So it's like, I guess that's where I'm at right now. It's like, it's a mindset. So you talked totally. a little bit earlier, you know, about the mindset, but let's go a little more deeper kind of into like, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you consistently maintain that mindset? Because customers coming in with a printed sheet and they already know what they want. It is so freaking easy just to say, okay, thanks. I'll type this up and then it it comes completely transactional and we Mm -hmm. miss the opportunity to actually connect with the person on a human to human level. So how do we Mm -hmm. maintain that mindset? Well, it's, it's, especially with young reps, that's where he has to start because you're right. It, it, it becomes so easy to do what you're doing, to do what you just said, to make it transactional. 
But if you think in the future, if you think about referrals, if you think about how this person is going to feel after this transaction, that needs to be what you're, that needs to drive your mindset because if it's just transactional, if they come in, you take the sheet, type it up. Okay. Go see the financing guy. Have a nice day. There's no, there's no relationship there whatsoever. And that person's off. But imagine if the person came in and they showed you the sheet and you actually started a conversation and you started building a relationship they're probably, and you do it the right way where you're, where you're building the trust. They're, they're going to start to like you because you're, you're doing what they want. You're giving them the car they want, but you're also someone that can help them if they never, ever need any issues down the road. See, in if it's just a transaction and they walk out of that or they drive out of that dealership and there's no relationship there, there's no warm and fuzzy. So the next car they need or the next friend they talk to about a car they're not even going to remember your transaction. They're just going to, they're going to remember the cost and not going to remember your name as the salesperson. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you, if the mindset is how can this relationship be built? So it can maintain itself over time. I want them calling me when they have a service issue. Who do I call for service? Mm -hmm. I want them calling me when they have a question about the car. If that's the relationship you can build, that's the mindset you have. Keep, Keep in mind the future of this customer because everybody knows a lot of different people. And like I said, when, when someone runs into a salesperson that acts that as if they're not as acts as the salesperson, they're not expecting, they will refer that, that salesperson a thousand times over. So if it helps remember referrals, remember the relationship feeling that the customer has when they walk out the door because that's going to continue to help your, your future sales. It's, it's like an, it's like building an annuity with customers. I, I'm so with you on that. And I think right now, you know, I hate to say that there's a silver lining because <laughs> the pandemic is not, it's, like, it's very serious for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But, but there, there is a silver lining. And, and I feel like in our, in, in this vertical of sales, we've kind of seen that in, in the sense that as all verticals, Right, we've been forced to connect a lot more, a lot faster, a lot quicker before the transaction mm -hmm. has to happen. You, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Before it was it was so simple for someone just to walk into a place of business and say, "This is what I'm looking for. I'll take it." You know, and that's not the case anymore, right? So mm -hmm. we we can't just come in. We you know, for a lot of businesses out there, you know, where we are right now. I mean, literally yesterday we actually just went down to another lockdown. So for a lot of oh, businesses, okay. we're, we're appointment only, you know, so, so mm -hmm. we have to create that, that connection, that relationship um, virtually. Like for a mm -hmm. lot of people, they've always struggled just to do it physically in person, let alone do it right. virtually. So it's like, we really kind of next leveled it. Um, but, but I've seen, I, I've seen some old school salespeople really, I'm, like, I'm proud of them, right? Because they really truly adopted to this and, and, and for, and for a, for an industry that doesn't change very quickly, <laughs> like, <laughs> like we got on board with this, but I still think we're trying to figure this out as we go along. So this kind of leads into my next question for you is kind of your thoughts and your opinions of creating that relationship virtually, you know, before we ever get a physical opportunity or in some cases never actually have an opportunity to connect physically or in person. Well, if it's, if you're using, the virtual tool, the zoom tool of 
connecting with a customer to set up an appointment for them to, to do a test drive. Um, that's your opportunity to build that no like, and trust factor, because then they're going to want to set that appointment with you because they feel comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. But we don't have, I have a whole chapter in my book about body language. And one thing that people don't realize is body language. The most of the most accurate form of body language actually starts at the feet and the legs, not the face. The face is the least accurate. So when you're reading a body, when you're reading someone's body language, you're going to start from their feet up, but we don't have that anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. look at us, we've got torso and head and that's it. And hands (laughs) just talking. And so I'm sorry, just talking heads. Yeah. Just talking heads. And, and you know, that becomes a little more difficult to, to gauge what someone's doing um, or feeling or, or how they're, they're, you know, uh, paying attention to what you're saying, but there are certain hacks and there's certain ways to, to, to look at a, a person's body language on a zoom call to find out if you're connecting with them. And, and one of them is you, you, you want to watch their eyes. Are there, are their eyes scanning? Are they watching you? Or are they looking to the left or to the right? You know, checking up. Oh, I just got a text. They're going to look, look over there. If, if they're getting distracted easily, then they're not, you're not making a connection with them. So again, it's just like leading as if they walked into the showroom, you want to start at leading with helping. How can I help you kind of thing? And then, you know, really talk about and get into what their needs are and what problems they want to solve or what the, what gets them excited. You know, a lot of cars, you know, you're buying a car, uh, because it's a want and it's not a need. And that's even a harder sale mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it could be harder because obviously they don't need it, but you want to work on, on the emotion of getting them excited about it. But when you're on a zoom call, your number one goal, um, for your industry is to, is to get them to an appointment. I would assume. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, look, I think, we, we, we try to sell a product over <laughs> zoom call or even over a phone call. I mean, how many times have we told people not to do that? Right. Like yep, we have to yep. sell the value and actually, you know, connecting with us to, to the, to that next step. You know, mm-hmm. what, what I'm finding right, right now though, is um, a lot of salespeople are really struggling to figure out their value proposition when they're not face to face with the customer, you know, because to your, to, to your point, Alan, I mean, look over 80% of what we say doesn't come out of our mouths, you know, like right. if, if, you know, t- my body language says a lot about my intent to want to serve you as right. a customer. Right. And it, it is really, really hard to get that out, you know, so I want to maybe a few tips or tricks, you know, cause I'm thinking, you know, look, a lot of people when they're doing these calls, you know, they don't have these big camera and microphone setups like us. So, so they're like this. So we just become talking. Right. <laughs> we don't even see much of the hands or anything. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, you just see the big, the big face. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so what are some tips and tricks that you may have for, you know, trying to articulate that value proposition of doing business with me or, you know, trying to articulate that intent to want to serve someone? I mean, let them talk, you know, don't think you have mm, to. Good point spit everything out at once, you know, a lot of young reps, even, even season reps, you know, they, they don't shut up. They, they, they want, they feel like they need to talk about their product. Um, ad nauseum, like this is this, this is that is, this is the miles, miles per gallon. This is everything. And just sit back and say, what are you looking for? And let them talk and then ask another question and let them talk. And, and the more someone talks to you and doesn't listen the more they're going to feel comfortable with you because they're going to feel heard. And if the customer starts to feel heard, like you're actually listening to them, you're, you're then winning them over. 
And you do that by asking very non salesy type of questions. Just how are, you know, I don't want to say, how are you, but Mm -hmm. you just, you just let them talk, let them tell you exactly what they're looking for, how long they've been looking for, what gets them excited, what colors they like, things like that. Talk about the emotion. And the other way to do this is you got to tell stories. You got to use analogies and metaphors and tell stories about your product. And this is a great way to get people to feel comfortable with you because it's going to humanize you and it's going to make them visualize something better. So rather than saying this red Corvette here is blah, blah, blah. And you go through the features and benefits. If you know, that's the car they're looking at. You say, you know what? I had a customer last week who bought that car for his daughter for her 21st birthday. And he put a big red bow on it and he drove it up. (laughs) That's a story that turns that car into, into a car that actually is in someone else's life. And they start picturing themselves in that car rather than just talking about the car, talk about a story within the car. And if you can relate that to a customer, then they're going to feel more comfortable. And now they're going to get a little excited to, to, to come and talk to you. They're going to get a little excited about, um, wow, I can, I can see myself in that car because mm-hmm. you told a story about it. That, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, look, because we can't um, sell the body language of how I want what my intent to want to help you as, as a customer, the story actually kind of plays that role for me yeah. then, right? I can, right. I, I can tell the story of how I assisted a, another customer. And, and through that story, you can get the feeling for my intent. I, I think that's, that, that's a, that's a great way, you know, to, to show them, you know, through storytelling that we do give a crap and we do want to connect with them at that human level. And that's the type of experience we're setting the stage for. That's the type of experience that they're, that they're going to get. I I think my my question then kind of for you is I'm seeing this kind of not very well executed. I guess that's what, I guess is my concern, right? I, I, you know, the the funny thing is, is I think we know how to do this for a lot of us out there. We're trained on, on how to do this, but the Mm -hmm. second we hit the red button, um, I, it's like, we almost forget our names. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You get nervous and it's, it's weird because you're much more comfortable in person. And you said something in a video recently and I thought that was actually really cool. And I thought this would actually be a, a, a great kind of little tidbit, you know, for, for what we're talking about is recording those conversations. Yes. You know, and you know, look, I, I played sports as a kid. I was a I was a shot put and discus thrower. That's not a typical mm-hmm. sport, but you know, I was I was really 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 heavy into it. Uh, junior Olympics, all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it was through the recording of all of my activities is how I progressively got better, better, better very fast. And when you said that, I was like, "Oh, yeah, this is perfect." And this seems like a perfect opportunity to record because we're already there. It's literally one extra perfect opportunity to record. Yeah. But Tell me a little bit more about that and how that benefits us and our efforts moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I talked to so many salespeople about how the pandemic is is actually hindered them. I'm, I'm like, no, this is there's so many new things here that are helping you. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing for me is you can record yourself having a sales conversation and the customer is not going to have a problem with it. In fact, I when I when I do a sales conversation, I'm like, do you mind recording this? I can certainly send it to you when we're done so you can recap what we spoke about. 100% of the time, they're going to say yes. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is when you're on a Zoom call, you can not only 
listen back and see what you said. And I guarantee you, you'll be shocked at some of the things you say. <laughs> you'll be shocked at, of how some things came out of your mouth or how you sounded because you don't know how you sound when you're speaking. You're only going to know how you sound when you look back at it. But here's the key. This is, this is such an important thing is you can see how the customer reacted to it. You're going to be able to see their facial expression. You're going to be able to see if they pursed their lips or they scratched their ear. A, a good tell if someone scratches their ear all of a sudden just kind of touches their ear. They don't like, that means they didn't like what they heard. So these little things you can now watch for when you go back uh, and watch the recording is so helpful because it will, it, if you said, I don't like to use the example, um, a lot, everyone says you shouldn't say, um, I think, I um, try, it's fine because to, if that's how you talk, time. you say, um, but if you're saying it, or if you say the word, like every third word, you're going to look at that. And you go, Oh my God, I sound like a, you know, a TikTok teenager. <laughs> I got to stop saying the word like, and you work on it and you become better and better at how you're talking to the customer and how you're coming across and how the customer's reacting to what you're saying. And, and, if I have a, a minute, I can talk about the the three things that you should be actually looking for when you're when you're having that conversation. Um, I mm-hmm. did I did video on this uh, on LinkedIn very recently. You you need to look for three things in your conversation. Aristotle said there's three components of a conversation that have to occur if you want persuasion. If persuasion is going to happen from one person to another, the three components are pathos, which is emotion, logos, which is features and benefits or statistics, and um, ethos, which is credibility, you know, you and your company. If you, if you mention those three things, you'll have much more of a chance of persuading your person you're speaking to, to do what you'd like them to do. However, mm-hmm. The biggest mistake sales reps make is they focus on the logos, the features and benefits. They focus on so much features and benefits that they forget about the emotion. And then the second thing they'll focus on is our dealership's been in business for 25 years. My grandfather started it. It used to be painted green. Now it's red. All of that stuff that literally the customer could care less about. People could care less about (laughs) your business. Care less. You have to spend time on emotion. And this was actually a study done. Carmine Gallo, who wrote the book, talk like Ted did this. uh, It's an amazing book. He, he actually studied and watched over 2000 Ted talks and he sat there and he tabulated how many times the speaker, you know, hit emotion, hit statistics and features and hit uh, credibility. That's cool. And turns out that the top 20 TED Talks of all time, the top 20 millions and millions of downloads and views had an emotion score of 65% or higher, meaning 65% of their talk focused on emotion, dealt with emotion. 20% dealt with the features or the statistics of what they were speaking about, and only 10% dealt with the, or 15% dealt with the credibility of, of the actual speaker. Translate that to a sales conversation, and it's the same thing. When you focus on the emotion, when you tell stories, when you tell analogies, when you talk about how the customer is going to feel after they own your product or service, you're going to have a much easier time persuading them to purchase than you would. uh, You can talk about features and benefits until you're blue in the face. There's no feeling behind them. Oh, no. Look, we buy stories before we buy products, right? The product is is literally just the byproduct of 
us buying into the story of whatever that product is in the first place and it's how it's going to fit me and benefit m my life. Look, I, th I think that there's a fair amount of managers and salespeople out there that are listening and they're shaking their heads up and down right now and they're, they're agreeing with us. But the, the one thing I really want to drive home for them is, is understand that connecting with someone emotionally is not necessary. It, look, it's a good idea, but to execute it consistently, you need to have a routine. Like I, I'm the first one yeah. to admit my EQ is not that high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm, I'm analytic driven. I, I don't put a lot of emotion into connecting with others. And I've actually had to force myself to do that. And I found that the way I force myself to do that is to create a routine of stories. And for me, it's always a story of the product, a story of the business and then the the story kind of, of of myself and why I'm why I'm here and I find that usually those are one of the three stories that people want to connect into but if I consistently kind of bring that into my conversation then I'm able to connect with them emotionally I'm sure you probably got some tips and tricks as well how to how to create connect consistently connecting people uh, emotionally as a routine what are some of those routines that you've developed over the years well Social proof is, is a, is a really good one because you can combine story with social proof, um, as a routine. I, I routinely, when I would go into a house to sell windows and doors, I, I would, uh, my, my focus was obviously to help the customer, but then I would focus on number one. And I mentioned this already, what they're going to feel like once they own the product, mm -hmm. you, you have to talk about that all the time. But then you also, if you bring social proof into it by saying, you know, I was in a house just like yours, Mrs. Smith, and she had a window just like this. And man, when they put that bay window in here, now they can see all the deer and stuff. And she only lives two miles from here. So picture yourself having a cup of coffee in the morning, in the morning and looking outside in your backyard with that bay window. How great would that be? I didn't talk about one feature or benefit. I talked about how she's going to feel and someone who lives a mile from her who did the same window. And all of a sudden, they get this warm feeling. I'm like, wow, not only am I not the first person doing this, but that really feels good to me. So that, that was my routine is, is always talk about how they're going to feel when they own the product or service and a, a social proof of either a customer that was similar to them or a customer that lived near them or in the same town, same profession is a big thing. I, you know, I sold windows to a doctor last week, Mr. Jones, and he, he, he spent $40,000 on windows. And, um, you know, he, he, he loves every minute. He loves all the windows that they're installed. Now that doctor I'm speaking to feels better because another doctor bought the windows. It, <laughs> it's how the mind works. It's all it, sales is psychological. If you start to tap into how the human brain works and you just make that customer feel comfortable with stories, with social proof, uh, right there, you're, you're more than halfway home because now you got rid of the transactional part of it. And now they kind of want to hear more and they're going to want to know how they can own it. And, and from there you can, you know, if they walk in with that built the price, you can, you can talk about, well, you mentioned this, but how about we give you heated seats instead of, you know, it, it's going to be a cold winter, maybe you want heated seats, but now you've got the trust built because they're feeling really good about sitting in that car. I, I love that. And you know, I, I would encourage anybody out there that's, 
that's listening or watching this right uh, to this right now, and maybe you're like me where your EQ is not as high as others, you know, for, for me, I actually had to document the stories that I was using in the social proof. And I love, I love how you, how you social proof that makes more sense um, for sure for a lot of people out there. Document them, write them down, practice them, and understand that the first ones you create won't be the last ones you'll actually end up using. Recording mm -hmm. your conversations right now will help a lot to identify that the stories and the social proof that you're using is bringing you the results that you're looking for. I know, Alan, it's getting towards the tail end of our time today. This has been so much fun. But before I let you go, I would love to uh, kind of find out the best way to connect with you. So everyone out there that's watching and listening can kind of follow along you know, with your journey, uh, definitely I encourage everyone to go out and buy Alan's book. It's a uh, very, yeah, actually, oh, yeah. I asked for permission and, and Jason said I could hold the book up. So there it is. The seven secrets to selling more by selling less. You can find that on Amazon or just type in my name, Alan Langer. It's A L L A N L A N G E R. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, but my website's pretty easy. You can get to anywhere from my website. It's allanger.com, A L and then L A N G E R.com. You can click on buy the book there. You can set up a conversation with me. I do a lot of, uh, a lot, 99% of what I'm doing is virtual sales training. Now I train groups and uh, even do individual coaching. So would love to hear from you. And I'm going to end with this, Jason. Uh, the first two people who contact me uh, via email through my website, will get a, and say, mention this podcast, will get a free autographed copy of my book. That's awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to jam with me today. This has been uh, just, just a total blast. Alan, you have awesome. yourself an I loved amazing it. day. Yeah, you too, Jason. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.